Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. I don't know about you, but that was an exhausting race. I was tired. I'm sure the drivers were tired, but I was definitely tired and after watching that. It, it, it had kind of settled down for a bit, and it looked like things were going to be fine. And then they weren't. And then Kevin Magnuson dropped it into the wall. Wow. Which, that, that in its own right was kind of bizarre. Not so much the fact that he hit the wall. I mean, yeah, maybe that was, but it was the fact that that touch completely ripped the tire off the wheel and launched it. And it was really weird because the tire still looked like it was whole. It just like, yeah, it, it looked it like the, the wall thing. ate the tire and spit it out. Yeah. I, I, I've never seen a tire get hoovered off a wheel like that. Well, it's <laughs> funny because my first thought when I saw him dragging his wheel hub tireless down wheel his tireless wheel down the uh the uh track was did they not put the little strap thing that's supposed to hold the wheel on because you remember that's like a violation and well the penalty. wheel was still on the car though well yeah the wheel but the tire so the tether the you, tether you goes to the wheel you yeah. not to the tire but yeah that was my first thought was well did you not tether it correctly or but apparently that's not the case it just lost its and you know from that point on it just went crazy but before we get into any of that we have to go and talk about the fantasy gp stats do we have to because i'm not doing very well we have to i noticed that we did not do this when i was doing very well and i still have a protest in with the fia over this yeah it's been completely dismissed (laughs) and more times than not because it's utterly, your protest is meaningless. <laughs> I strenuously object. Oh, if you strenuously object, we still don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Things are tightening up after the correct points were applied from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and an eventful Australian Grand Prix. Phil's Team Rocket won the week with 202 points, and the boys' Moonlit Black Cats took second with 178 points. Michael's Mach 5 Racing was third with 155 points, while Patricia's The Bird Team came away fourth with 122 points. Jim's There's No Crying in Baseball was fifth, bringing in 130 points, and Vicky's House Cats had 130 points on the weekend. In the overall standings, Michael's Mach 5 Racing remains in first place with 508 points, but Team Rocket has jumped to second and is just three points behind at 505 points. Patricia's The Bird Team fell back to third with 443 points. The boys' Moonlit Black Cats finally checks into the league and is in fourth place on 432 points, ahead of There's No Crying in Baseball on 413 points. The House Cats hold on to six with 275 points. There's still time to join us for free by signing up at www.fantasygp.com and then entering the league code 148-31491. That's 148-31491. I believe that is the same music you have used in other previous Australian Grand Prix race results. Why would you not? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I Given that you and Team Rocket have um, 
are very close at the top end of the grid, at the pointy end of the grid, as they say. Well, first off, I want to point something out because you want to throw this whole thing of, well, you know, we didn't do this before when I was doing really good. Just to be clear, after the points were re-racked for the, what, fourth time? Third. Third time for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, you were in second place. I was. So quit whining. I, I was in second place. You fell you fell behind this week because last what? week you were doing just fine. So quit whining. No, but you didn't do it that whole season when I was winning the I whole season. I hadn't done it for three years. Yes, and? Three years. Yes, and? It wasn't specific to no, last year. No, I just find it interesting that you have re-resurrected it while you are, in fact, in first place. Uh. And you will not push me off that that complaint i strenuously object anyway we still don't care (laughs) anyway as i was saying you and team rocket are you know neck and neck up at the pointy end of the grid and i was just suggesting that you know there's a really tight mid-pack race going on in you know the best for the best of the rest well you know the only reason why phil is closing in because he made actually, good predictions this past week. Actually, either way, I was going to be in trouble this week. Because up until two weeks ago, I think it was, I had Albin and replaced Albin with Valtteri Bodis. Ooh, bad move. And, well, Albin hadn't been getting points either. So I was like, okay, th- this is fine. I'm just going to go and punt him. I'll bring Bodis in. Not a problem. Botus hasn't been doing any better. And Williams is still one of my teams. So I'm still not getting points from Williams. So, yeah, there's going to need to be a reshuffle here in the next few days. Uh, I, I went to go make my reshuffle because I, I chose the wrong Haas driver, apparently. Um, I was going to do a, a reshuffle, but it's locked until tomorrow. So, of yep. course, now I have to remember, which, you know. I got so many things going on in my brain. Memory is not one up them. So it'll be interesting to see how long I hold on to this team because I forget to change it. So we'll see. So I have like two weeks to get the change made before we head to Baku. So hopefully that will that will occur. Yeah, I don't have great music for Baku. I've got good music for Miami. Is it the Miami Vice theme song? No, not at all. Okay. I'm not doing that. Okay. It's too trite. I have better. It's still Miami themed. Alrighty. Alrighty. Um, all right. So we have like stories. Better isn't on par with Big Red Car. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, I'm, I'm now actually, I'm actually worried. Um, all right. So. Things have happened. We didn't have a show last week. We have to acknowledge that. But we knew we mm-hmm. weren't going to have a show next last, last week. Um, we should have a show next week, maybe. Probably. Then we won't have a show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we got to get all the stuff in. But there's, like, been stuff actually happening. And then, basically, for almost three hours of the race, that was, like, every news story we've got. Yeah, pretty much. So... So, first off, as you recall, and I know we talked about this last year, it came out in that um, while being interviewed in in a podcast last year, Nelson Piquet 
made some comments that most of the world would find to be highly objectionable. Do you know who didn't find them highly objectionable? His family. Bernie. Well, yeah. What I was going to say was that the apologists for Nelson's comments, including I think it was like his brother or his uncle, um, described them as common Brazilian colloquialisms. Okay. That, that That's basically what he said. And that, that their mother used to call them that all the time. And it was common among Brazilian males to refer to each other this way, that we will not refer to them. Right. Um, because we know better. Well, there, there's that too. That that was what we were told, you know, that this was a common thing. Um, however, um, the Brazilian, well, actually it was four different human rights groups, including Brazil's National LGD, LGBT Plus Alliance, sued him in court in in. Brazil, in Brasilia, it was a civil court, um, he was found guilty to the equivalent of 780,000 pounds or 5 million reals, which says to me that maybe the quote-unquote colloquial phrases that Nelson used might not have been nearly as acceptable in Brazilian society as they wanted us to think it was. Well, there is definitely that. Let alone the rest of the world. Well, the rest of the world definitely thought it was Cultural wrong. differences aside, apparently, if you use these terms in Brazil, you can in fact get sued and lose. A lot of money, so please don't. Yeah. Now, the reality is, most of the rest of the world already knew this was not acceptable. But I have to remind everyone of a specific connection here. Oh, I was going to go with that. That our level of sympathy here for for Nelson after this is pretty dang low. Oh, I have zero oh, sympathy well, okay. for him. I mean, I'm sorry that your pocket is now about a million dollars lighter. I don't care. However, I do think that it's important that we remind people because this particular statement was aimed squarely at my favorite driver, Mr. Lewis Hamilton, Sir Lewis Hamilton, as it is, um, and. Nelson's daughter is Kelly Piquet, who happens to be Max's girlfriend. Yeah. So I find it very important that we draw that connection because, you know, there is no exact love lost between his potential future son-in-law and... You know, Max was asked about this. And basically, if I remember correctly, what Max said is that you know, I can't control Nelson's mouth, but I didn't, I would not use the language that he did. It was the most non-answer answer that he could have given. Yeah. Because it very much came across to me that he was trying to keep the peace with the fact that it was his girlfriend's father. I, I, I think he probably was to some extent, but also let's be clear. I have not seen or heard any indication that that is language Max would use. I'm not saying that as, it's language Max. As much Max as we know that Max and Max does not like Lewis and has very little respect for Lewis, 
I, I don't think Max would use that kind of language to refer to Lewis. No, and I, did, I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm suggesting. I felt that Nelson's use of the word was probably exasperated because of the the fandom he has for the guy dating his daughter. That was that was where I was going with it. I think it was still Nelson. Okay. I, I'm not saying Max is complicit in it or anything like that. I'm saying that Nelson was likely particularly more negative to Lewis than he should have been because of a connection to Lewis's rival at the time. Okay. All right. So let's get into some like happier things like the honey badger back on the track or well near the track. No, I think he was doing some driving in and around Australia, and he was doing some PR events for... It was really weird to see him back in Red Bull gear, by the way. I, like, did a double take. Is that is that Ricardo? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it, it's not so much that it's weird to see him back in Red Bull gear. It's more a matter of... Because I've, I've seen a couple of pictures of him in Red Bull gear since, oh, about end of November, December time frame. It's more that I've got to check the timestamp of those pictures to make sure that they're current and not from a couple of years ago. Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> there's that. Um, but he is certainly enjoying being on the sidelines as much as he can. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know he'd, he'd prefer to be out on the track, um, but he's doing a lot of PR events. There's been rumblings that that organizations are expressing interest in him for 24. We don't know what that looks like as of yet. I think that drumbeat's going to just pick up over the next couple of months. Um, but Christian Horner's been talking about what it's like having Daniel back, and in particular, having Daniel back in the simulator. Mm. So what he actually said was... Um, they that when Daniel came back, it was clear that he had picked up some habits that they didn't recognize as the Daniel that had left us two or three years earlier. He said, I think the problem is when you ha- drive a car that obviously has its limita- limitations, you adapt and you try and adjust to extract the maximum out of that car. But having had time off over Christmas and so on, a chance to reset, when he's come back and gotten into the 2023 work, he's hit the ground running. I think he likes the feel of the car in the virtual world, which seems to correlate well with what we're seeing in the actual world. But that whole thing of, we think he's picked up some bad habits that we're breaking. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Interesting. Now, I'm always suspect of things that Christian Horner says. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's any chance Christian... Think bigger than your old team, Horner. Maybe noticing that people are sniffing around Mr. Ricardo for 24, and he would rather they not. So he's pushing a narrative that says, well, you know, Daniel's got some bad habits. Well, but what he's saying is that they're they're breaking them and, and, and reprogramming him. <laughs> I don't, yes, they're, they're, they're reprogramming. Honestly, I don't think that that is as bigger concern as you might think because I think if you're Daniel Ricardo and and Daniel's not a dumb man, um, he knows exactly why he left Red Bull in the first place, and fundamentally nothing's changed. 
Exactly. And he can certainly, sitting on the sidelines, see that exactly nothing has changed and that this is Max's team first and foremost. And if anything, it's more Max's team now than it was when he left. So I think with that in mind, yeah, he's willing to take the role as the Red Bull development driver in order to keep his finger in Formula One and to keep a presence in the paddock and to be recognized and what have you. But I can't imagine that a full-time return alongside Max Verstappen is something that he really wants. No, I don't think that's what he would want at all. But that's not that's not what I was considering is Christian likes to have options. He did not appreciate that his only option was to bring Perez into the organization. Well, yeah. So the idea of making sure that Daniel has fewer options um, to be able to either dangle that in front of Perez as to keeping him on the sharp end of, of his game or whatnot, whether or not it's reality, doesn't necessarily play in Horner's world. You still got to wonder, though, what kind of options does either of them have? Mm-hmm. Because... The Red Bull Junior program still doesn't have anybody promising to bring into the uh, Alpha Tori team. Um, for Daniel, I mean, do you, do you really think there's a possibility that he's going to go back to McLaren or go to Alpine? Or I mean, mm-hmm. where else is he? he he's not going to get picked up by Ferrari. He's not going to get picked up by. Mercedes, you know, Haas. I mean, yeah, no, he's he's not headed towards the pointy end of the grid for those teams, and I think that's what he really, really wants. I mean, you might be able to pick up a Sauber or a, um, yeah, he's not going to Williams. Well, but keep in mind, Valtteri's contract is through the year before. The switch over to Audi. So is that what? Through 24 or through 25 when Audi's coming in? So he's hoping, though, that he can remain and hitch a ride with Audi. Right. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because there's not... I mean, the reality is, the truth, there's not a lot of spots left mm-hmm. unless your hope is that you're going to pick up... Um, Alonzo's seat when he finally actually fully retires because Alonzo's got to be getting close to retirement. Alonzo's going to drive until someone will give him a seat. As long as somebody gives him a seat and he's enjoying it. Yeah. So in order for him to leave at this point, he's got to have a falling out with the Strolls, which does shockingly right now does not appear likely because okay, but they're that, delivering him a car. That can change on a whim and you know it. Yeah, it can. Because it's Fernando. All right, so other things going on. The FIA is issuing clarifications and some rulings. Okay. First off, after, you know, the events in Saudi Arabia, they have issued a clarification around working on the car, especially when it comes to penalties. Um, And there's a discussion with the team managers, and they've now agreed for at least the way forward. Clarification number one, 
For clarity and until further notice, in this context, the physical touching of the car or driver by hand, tools, or equipment, including the front and rear jacks, during any such penalty will all be considered to constitute work. So you cannot touch the car. However, the next thing, that, which is a new one that I didn't even know was under discussion, the use of cooling fans during a penalty is permitted, providing any such fan does not physically touch the car. So what that means is somebody could come out with the leaf blower, mm-hmm. and as long as it doesn't touch the car, they can blow air wherever they want. Which is a good thing, because that was one of the concerns about them sitting there with the brakes overheating. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's, let's protect the car. I mean, that's an important thing. The, the other clarification that they had, um, and this is really just reiterating, um, as is already common practice, multiple penalties occurred under Articles 54.3a and 54.3b prior to a car's pit stop can be served in series at a single pit stop. For example, a 5-second and a 10-second penalty, penalty can be served as a single 15-second penalty and so on. And they called that out because I guess it's not actually in the rules. So they want to make sure everybody understands that that is acceptable and can happen. Well, I'm glad to hear that they're clarifying rules. Yeah. I mean, we asked them to do that. So, you know, given the fact that two weeks ago we called out that they have a glaring hole in their rules and they've Mm -hmm. just closed it. I think that we we need to claim the bloke and the bird bump. Okay. Actually, in this case, because it's not like, um, it's not a change in viewership numbers or anything like that. This is more an action that they took. I think we call it the bloke and the bird nudge. Nudge. It's a nudge. We nudge the FIA to do something. Okay. I I like it. I like it. We have nudged. (laughs) We are nudgers. (laughs) The other we bit are of, nudging. Thank you. <laughs> the other bit of clarification that came out this week, and this is as much a clarification as it m- was a warning that they're going to start enforcing something. So apparently, teams have been warned, and it has been clarified that it is forbidden to climb on pit wall debris fences at any time. Now, this is in specific reference to the post-race celebrations where teams had climbed on the debris fences and were waving to the drivers and cheering. What it sounds like, so the rule has always been there. This is um, Appendix H, Article 2.3.2 of the International Sporting Code, and it's enforced across all motorsports categories sanctioned by the FIA. So this is not just an F1 specific rule, but what we, we've seen this, it's been a common thing for years. It's never really been enforced at the end of the race. What appears to have triggered this in specific was post-race actions in Saudi Arabia and apparently in Bahrain from both Aston Martin and Red Bull. And they both have traditionally climbed the fence, but the photos have them climbing a little high. So normally it's just, you know, they climb up onto the fence and they're standing right on the concrete wall and they're reaching over. What we saw in those two races, which I guess has not been quite common, 
is they went up above that. So the fence arches out a bit over the track and both teams had mechanics on that arch out over the track. That seems to be what has frustrated the FIA and basically, well, they've ruined it for the rest of us. (laughs) And, okay, I can completely get behind and understand that we do not want mechanics dangling over the track, climbing the fence. I mm-hmm. mean, there, there's some there's some potential safety issues. And, and that's why this is being called out. But the sad part about it, and yes, I hear you, they've ruined it for the rest of us. I would have much preferred that the clarification be that they couldn't go above a certain p- spot mm-hmm. or, you know, as long as you're as, as long as two feet were touching the concrete jersey barrier, then you were good. Because iconically, visually, I love the look of the pit crew running to that fence to congratulate their driver as they're crossing the start finish line. I mean, to me, well, as much as I love the like when they get to the the stand the stands with the numbers and they go running mm-hmm. and doing the giant hugs, that warms my heart. That's part of the celebratory nature of so, it. So to be clear, they're not allowed to climb the fence, but they're still allowed to gather at the fence. And they've been told they are still allowed to hang through the openings in the fence where they put out the pit boards. So the teams can still rush the fence. They can still, you know, celebrate at the fence. They can even reach through. But it's the climbing of the fence. And it is, it, it's, it's being out of concerns for safety. And specifically because they climbed up that high and they were on that overhang part. The concern is that a dr- even though it has never happened, and all the team bosses are like, we, we've never had, okay, we get it for safety, but it's never happened that somebody's been up there or somebody's fallen from there or, you know, they've dropped a radio or something on a car because, yes, that would be disastrous if it happened, but we've, we've never actually had it happen. But Or debris fly up and hit them. That, that, that's the argument that the FIA is using. But you know as well as I do that just because it's never happened doesn't yep. mean it can't happen. Um, and freak things happen. And the last thing you want is freak things to happen to cause tragedy. So I get it. I, I really do get it. Um, but yes, it's it's the pictures of them hanging through the pit walls um, and the, the pit fence. that That warms my heart. That's part of that iconic... I'm so excited to celebrate celebration that I can't contain it any longer. I can't wait for you to get back to the pits well, to, to, to celebrate with you. Y- you'll still see that. Just it'll be toned down, and I get mm-hmm. that. Um, now, the other things that they have reminded the teams that, that they are going to enforce, as all under this rule, um, is that, um, like we mentioned you're forbidden to climb on debris fences at any times. Team personnel are only allowed in the pit lane immediately before they are required to work on a car and must withdraw as soon as the work is complete. Um, any team breaching this ban will be reported to the stewards. Um, it means that it's not a new, like I said, not a new rule introduction, but will be considered a stricter interpretation of Appendix H of Article 2.3.2. So the stewards will make the decision what the pen, the punishment will be. It's believed 
that this would be a fine levied to the team, not to the driver. Well, that would make sense. Um, and I guess several of the team bosses have said that um, if there was a fine issued to the driver for the, for a violation like this, the team bosses have said it's not their intention that the driver would be would face that. They'd have to pay that fine. The team would pay it on the driver's behalf, which makes sense. Um, but I could just see it. You know, they I, you could see Toto whipping out his wallet and going, "Okay, I got this one." <laughs> yeah, I'll take care of this one. So, race weekend, and it was a bumpy start to the weekend in general. So, free practice one. Um, 40 minutes into the session, uh, the whole session was red flagged due to a loss of GPS data. So what this meant was that the teams couldn't see where all of the other cars were on the track. Normally what happens during these sessions is that the teams are all tracking where the cars are. They're warning their drivers if they're coming up on a blind curve and there's somebody on a slow lap or something like that. The teams didn't even know that the GPS data was lost. Oh, wow. So the GPS data went out and there were a couple of fairly unsafe situations that occurred because the drivers didn't know that they needed to be, because the drivers didn't get warned that the GPS was out. So they were expecting calls from the teams. The teams didn't know GPS had gone out. So they didn't warn the drivers of an issue. Um, After several near misses, the session was red flagged um, until things could get sorted out. Everyone has said that if there was a warning out to the drivers, they would have changed how they were driving and it wouldn't have been quite as unsafe. But because nobody knew what was going on, it was kind of a dangerous situation. Well, that can make some sense. But they really just had a rough beginning to the whole weekend. Mm -hmm. They had lost the GPS on Friday. Um, Saturday, there was rain threat. It was cold. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of sun going into the weekend. And, and the second, uh, free practice too, also it was wet. And so, you know, one of the things that they talked a lot about, about the race itself was a lot of the data that they gather in the practice and even in the qualifying sessions, they didn't have. And, and or they had less of it. They, they had less of it coupled with the fact that, remember, this is only the second year that we've raced at Albert Park in this configuration, let alone with these design of cars. Correct. So it wasn't even like they had historical data that they could lean on. We haven't historically run at this track in this configuration. Exactly. So a lot of unknowns, which I think kind of does shake things up a bit. Well, we saw that. Yeah. Um, I will say, second year in a row, I think... The changes at Albert Park around the layout were very good for racing, combined with the new design of the cars. Um, I think that's been really positive. Um, That said, though, wow, this was a race with a couple of scary moments. Oh, yeah. Not the least of which was Alex Albin and uh, Nico Hulkenberg. When I watched that, I, I was surprised that the commentators didn't talk about that a lot more because Alex was in a cloud of dust and smoke. And I really don't know how Nico 
managed to avoid everything that was going on other than the fact that he said, ooh, Cloud, I probably don't want to be in that. <laughs> Which was a good decision. Because Smart man. Because I, I think he probably missed Alex by about a foot, if not less than that. That, that was, was some squeaky bum time. <laughs> that was crazy. And you didn't realize, because during that portion, you had kept saying, I don't know how he got back on the track without hitting anybody like Mm -hmm. i just don't understand it and i i looked up to see that cloud of smoke and that dust and i was like he couldn't have seen that he was even getting back on the track yeah nobody around him could have told you that there was a car entering the track it was that was that nico came through on a flyer i mean he was moving you gotta give you gotta give nico props for this race i mean Mm -hmm. i get that we don't often do drives of the race or any of that you Mm -hmm. know happy stuff that other people do but nico hulkenberg yet again proves to me he is one heck of a driver well that triggered red flag number one and by the way this is the first time in the history of formula one that a race has been red flagged three times and arguably four it was red flagged four times although that red flag was after the race ended yeah well that was really an end well after the race had finally achieved race distance let's go with that yeah that's when they red flagged it but and we'll get to that whole red flag thing because it's not what you thought it was is it, that one absolutely blows me away because how exactly do you red flag a race that has now ended? Well, but again, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so that red flag, George Russell has come out. So the first red flag. The, mm-hmm, the very first one. Nico Albon. Albon, who threw a ton of gravel onto the track. Mm-hmm. Um, George was upset about that red flag. And to some extent, I get it because he got screwed by the red flag Mm -hmm. royally. Um, His feeling though was that, you know, gravel on the track is not normally something that we have red flags for. And in in this case, yes, there was gravel on the track, but the racing line was clear. Mm -hmm. And you could see it. It it was clear that that path had been hoovered up by Nico and I think one other driver. So there was a clean line through the path. And I get that. I will also say, as much as I don't mind safety cars and, you know, I'd I'd rather an actual safety car over a VSC, from the perspective of trying to preserve race laps, because remember, every lap we do under a safety car is a race lap gone. Mm Mm-hmm. From that perspective of we know this is going to take a while to clean up. We can clean it up faster if we red flag it. And oh, by the way, we can preserve race laps. I'm kind of okay with that. Especially that early in the race. Because it's not the we're trying to insert drama or something like that. You're just trying to keep racing going. So I'm kind of okay with that. Especially if it's, you know, it means that instead of taking 20 minutes and maybe 15 laps for them to clean up, they can red flag it and have it cleaned up in 10. I'm okay with that because at that point you have no cars. You can just run whatever you need to in any directions and it's no issue. I hear you. And and I understand where you're coming from. I really do. Um, However, 
out of context, I might agree with you. If this had been a standalone situation, okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. I get that. The problem that I'm struggling with is that when I put it into context with the season, with things that have happened in recent history, we have turned out a generation of stewards that are red flag happy. And that I think is equally at play here. I mean, yes, I think that we had, we're coming off of a reaction to a safety car happy situation where we did a lot of laps under safety cars for a long time and okay well let's preserve racing laps and so we'll red flag i think this is just a pendulum thing well but we are red flag happy and that was struggling to me we are right now i i will say to, to everything that i said there is a huge caveat and and the big caveat is that if that's the approach that the stewards are going to take of we can clear this up faster if we get the cars out on the track and we can preserve race laps that way, it has to be consistently applied. And the teams and the drivers have to know it's consistently applied that, you know, when we get to that much debris on the track, we are absolutely going to red flag. So that way you don't end up with a situation where teams are trying to figure out, well, are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? We'll pull a car in because we don't think they're going to do it. And then all of a sudden they do it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the teams have to know to expect it. The drivers have to know to expect it. It, it, it can't be a, well, they did it in Australia, but they're not going to do it in the next four races and there's just as much crap on the track. They've got to be consistent in that, that application. Otherwise, no, it doesn't work for me. And that that's, I think, the big thing is it has to be a consistent expectation that it's going to happen and they do it. And the problem is... We can claim consistency yeah. as in hindsight all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem is that in the moment they're asking, you know, was this consistent with what we've done in the past? And they're going to see what the exceptions are. That's kind of human yeah. nature that you're going to look at the exceptions. The problem that I see is we, when in doubt this season specifically, and we're three whole races in, but even towards the tail end of last year, when in doubt, we've red flagged. And that well, has not historically been, basically, since that rainy... It's not just red flag, though. Since the rainy race in Spa, that has been sort of the reaction to it. Instead of doing things under safety car, we're red flagging more. But it's not just that. Because really, if you want to look at Jetta in specific, what happened there... It wasn't a matter of that we went to a red flag and we probably shouldn't have. We pulled out a safety car when the car that was involved in the incident, the only one that, that, that was involved, was already off the track. And honestly, you know, and it, it, it ties back to some of the other things that, that played out in Jeddah. We're told that there's cameras all over the track and they've got more angles than we could ever see. And what happened, we got a safety car for a car that was off the track because there was bad camera coverage in that area. Even though it was, a, you know, a marshal post, mm-hmm. there was bad, and an escape route, there was bad camera coverage in the area, and the GPS track showed that the car in the incorrect position. There were cameras for that. You know, we, we got a penalty that was applied, then retracted, because even though there are tons of cameras in the pit lane, the stewards didn't see contact on the car and somebody reported it to them. Mm-hmm. 
what's going on with all these feeds that they're supposed to have on top of everything else? Yeah, some of it is an overly cautious approach, but I think some of it is there are still some decision-making problems and potentially not using all of the tools that Formula One put out there, or maybe the tools aren't as effective as we were led to believe for all of these years. Well, that that, that is uh, equally likely. So we have red flag number one, which not as opposed to red flag number two, that one... Where did Kevin even end up? Well, no, Kevin ended up... No, he couldn't make it into the pit. He couldn't make it into the pit. It was George when he broke down that brought out the virtual safety car because he died right at the pit exit. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's one of the few times that I think the virtual safety car made perfect sense. Yeah. Because he was in, in kind of a dangerous area. It wasn't too bad. Closing the pit lane, yeah, you absolutely had to do that because of where he stopped. But I think it's one of the few times I'm like, okay, fine. You, <laughs> that works for me. And yeah. I hate the virtual safety car. Yeah. But, okay, where did Kevin end up, though? I mean, well, there was the tire. It was the tire. It was the was tire the they had to retrieve because the tire mm-hmm. went bouncing across the track. And, and that was kind of disturbing. I mean, it, at least it wasn't the whole wheel. <laughs> yeah. But there was that. And we, we've talked about how weird it was for that tire to get sucked off. Um, a lot of folks were... The, and the other reason why it made sense, I think, to have the, the the red flag at that point is where we were in the race. Because, you know, everyone has said we don't... Especially after... And you got to bring it up. Especially after Abu Dhabi. If they didn't red flag it, we would have ended under a safety car. Mm-hmm. So red flagging it, fine. You're preserving some race laps. The, the two lap sprint was silly. I I don't think it, again. I don't think it was necessarily silly, and I think they followed the rules and they applied the rules appropriately to do that, and. It had the potential to be super exciting. Mm-hmm. What we saw, and in, in, um, Esteban Ocon w- was pretty ticked off about it, but honestly, you had to expect it was going to happen with a two-lap sprint, was a lot of aggressive pushing and a lot of aggressive time, a lot of aggressive driving in a very short stretch. And it... You were going to have it. I mean, that's the reality is they said in the commentary, the entire thing was going to be done in those first three corners. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a two, it was a two lap sprint, but it was going to end in those two, those first three corners. Once you got past those first three corners, it was going to level back out and it would end. Well, I think it would have been close if they made it through the first three corners. Because remember, we had two laps. Mm-hmm. They they would have done everything that they could have to stay close to each other until they made it around the lap to because you had one more chance. So as long as you well, they didn't have DRS. Right. There was no so gonna be that DRS. was the other reason why they were going to try and stay as close as they could, even once you got past the, the, the third corner, because you had one more chance to do it when you came out of that lap. So 
yeah, it was going to be two laps of very exciting, potentially exciting racing. And for the aggression that we saw, it, it made total sense. Mm-hmm. You knew it those just elbows were coming out for didn't that. didn't play out great. No. Because <laughs> the elbows came out. Then. Yeah. So uh, let's start with Pierre Gasly and the unfortunate crash between the two Alpines. Oh. And I... I don't think that this was necessarily either of their faults. It was both of them in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was ruled a racing incident, mm-hmm. which which I, I think makes perfect sense. Um, then there was the penalty that was issued to Carlos Sainz for his clipping. I think it was Fernando that yes. he clipped. That one, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. Um... I think Carlos was more upset over the timing of when the penalty was issued and the fact that he didn't get to plead his case mm-hmm. up to the stewards over it. And I certainly understand the frustration there. I don't know if it was a racing incident or not. But in terms of whether the penalty came down when it did or it came down post-race the end result was going to be the same either way. It really was. But, okay, but I'm going to rewind our podcast a bit because you specifically have been very, very adamant. You want penalties to be handed down during the race. They were quick, they were decisive, and it happened in that little bit of time. It did. You, You alone, you cannot change your opinion. You have to fall on the side of... That did exactly what you asked the FIA to do. It, it did. And, and the only reason why I think there's any bit of leeway here is because of the fact it was two laps left before the end of the race. It wasn't like what happened in Saudi Arabia where 30 laps went by and then afterwards they're like, oh, we're going to give a penalty. Mm-hmm. There were two laps left, whether they handed it to Carlos before the restart or right after the race. It, and... and this was Carlos's point also as well. You know, no matter what happened here, that wasn't going to impact the podium. And he's right there. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing when a penalty is incurred and issued when there's two laps left in the race as opposed to 30 laps for them to figure out whether or not they should give a penalty in the first place. Well, That's what I found was unacceptable. Well, in Saudi Arabia, they were still reading the sporting regulations. I mean, they yeah. had to go look it up. Yeah. Um. So... Carlos was rather upset with that. I I don't know if I necessarily agree with his thought about that it was the most unfair penalty other than the fact that just because they were under red flag and reviewed it and there were two laps left, or in this case, there wasn't even going to be that much left. You know, he had no chance to gain those five. But I mean, what other option was there here? Yeah. I mean, I, I I get that it sucks, but... It's any, it is sucks, it any dude. different than the leader of the race having a gearbox die on him on the last lap? You're not mm-hmm. going to get that back, you know, mm-hmm. or yeah. having a crash in the last lap of the race. Things happen in the last lap. Things happen in the first lap. It, yeah. It, it, it's called racing, not uneventful driving. Now, one of the things that has raised eyebrows in that second restart, the one that, that led to the 
what was supposed to be the two-lap sprint was where Max lined up in his grid box. And you could see it on TV when they had the shot all the way in the back. Max angled off to, to zip to the left. He, he made that clear. He was within the bounds of the grid box. Later pictures have come out from the start line. And you can clearly see the front end of Max's car in front of the line for the box. And his wheels, part of his wheel actually overhanging past the box. Mm. And he didn't get penalized. So what the rule specifically says is that the contact patch of the tire. So in specific, for those of you who don't know the contact patch, that's the part of the tire that comes into contact with the pavement. The contact patch of the tire cannot be past the front of the line of the box. He was touching the box with the contact patch, but he was not past it. So he did not get penalized. He was about as pushing the edge as he possibly could be. And considering... He couldn't exactly see where he was. It was how he pulled that off, and he turned around. He said, "When he pulled into the, when he first pulled into the box, he lost spatial awareness, and actually he wasn't sure he was in the right spot. He looked around. He's like, oh, I think I got a little more room.' And he inched up a little further, <laughs> and he actually took the attitude of either this is going to work or I'm going to get a penalty. Hey, you know, okay." I don't normally give Max a whole lot of leeway, but I got to give him credit for that because that's what we actually want in F1 is, you know, somebody to skirt the very, very finest edge of the rules Mm -hmm. because that's what, that's what the rules are there for. I mean, that's Adrian Newey's philosophy 101. Um, I think it's also important to call out that when you think about the contact patch, you also have to remember that, and I know this is going to sound really stupid, tires are round. (laughs) and the track is flat so you will the contact patch itself the contact patch itself will in fact look like it is further back than where the tire is well it will but when you look at where the other drivers lined up they all lined up with their wing right about at the line Mm mm-hmm where Max is several inches further forward because the wing is over the line and it's the contact patch touching the line. Exactly. Where everywhere else, the, the contact patch isn't close to the line. So, second restart, all that happened, we heard in the commentary, Gunther Steiner was pissed. Oh, yeah. So he was pissed over how... They determined the order of the final safety car restart. So what the stewards had decided to do was because they hadn't made it through that first sector, they rolled everything back to the start of that lap and reset everything, which pushed Nico Hulkenberg back a couple of slots. Haas and Gunther Steiner tried to argue, and they protested this, they tried to argue that it should have been done at the first safety car line, which was past that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, and Haas has since conceded that that would not have been practical. Um, in order to do that, they would have had to rely on GPS data. 
and the GPS data is not believed to be reliable enough to do that. The only reliable way to do it was to roll it back like they did. So the protest was dismissed, but that's why Haas protested because they wanted it done at the safety car line. And yeah, that, that was never going to work. Yeah. And that's not how the rules say it was. And I, I, I think in this case, as much as it was goofy, I think the, the rules were applied correctly. Which, honestly, I have to agree with you and agree with you to the point of saying I was really actually happy that they applied them. Like, they made sense. They were semi-logical. They explained what they were doing. Like we, Well, I don't know if the stewards did, but the commentators understood it enough to explain and, it. And that us. was the key here. And I think that's absolutely the critical linchpin that we have missed in so many of these other things is we get these weird rulings that then mm-hmm. the commentators can't explain, which makes you distrustful of the ruling itself. This made sense. The commentators could explain it. The teams, like Alonzo was on it in, the, mm-hmm. you know, okay, they're going to roll it back. Crazy. They're going to roll it back to the penultimate lap. This is where everybody is going to be. And I mean, he could explain it. Mm-hmm. Well, he said they should do it before the decision had come out. This is he knew that that was the way to do it. And, you know, that was fair. So I, I don't have anything. And honestly, I would have even been okay if instead of having the final formation lap, if everybody had turned around and said, look, the final, just to check the box, mm-hmm. this is stupid. We're not going to do this. It's not going to change anything. And we're calling a rate. I would have been okay with that. But we did it. So, you know, it, yeah, it was silly. But I'm 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 totally okay with with how that played out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that then brings us to the final red flag. So what we heard, we heard two different things when you're watching the race. One was there was the the discussion about as we were doing that lap, um, the fans coming through and making their way to come onto the track was the wording that was used by David Cross mm-hmm. by David Croft is that the fans were coming down making their way to get onto the track but they clarified and said that they weren't actually on the track they were at the debris fences right then we heard that immediately after crossing that Nico Hulkenberg's car had broken down at turn two and red flag, which at that point race was over, so not a big deal. However, the red flag was apparently not because, because of, Nico. of Nico's flag or Nico's breakdown. The red flag was because the fans had made it onto the track, not only made it onto the track, they made it onto the track at turn two where Nico had broken down and Nico's car was not in a safe condition. So it was flashing red that the electrical system had not been secured and there was potential for electrical discharge. And that's pretty key because like even if the fans were not out there, marshals are not allowed to touch the car until the electrical system is secured. Fans had made it to the car. So that's why that red flag was thrown as a result of that, 
the Australian Grand Prix promoter was found in serious breach of FIA security and safety protocols after fans invaded the track. They were called to the stewards as a result of this. Ouch. A large group of spectators managed to break the security lines and access the track while the race was still ongoing because the race is not technically over until all the cars make it to the paddock after that cool down lap. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was the thing that David Croft had mentioned when he was talking about the fans making it onto the mm-hmm. track, you know, just as they were lapping that last formation style lap, he said, you have to remember they're going to go by one more time yep. because they have to get into the pit lane and the start finish line is beyond the pit entrance. I mean, that's the way that works. So if they were actually going towards the track just because the first lap of that they had passed them, they were forgetting that there was a cool down lap that always happens. Yeah. That's dangerous. I mean, regardless of Nico and in the car that wasn't safe, that's dangerous already. And we've already had all of the rulings about not riding on the outside of the cars and not, you know, doing all of those other things. I mean, come on, people, don't be stupid. So or the event organizers were found in breach of Article 12.2.1H of the International Sporting Code and requested that the promoter urgently present a formal remediation plan to the FIA. They stated that the security measures and protocols which were expected to be in place for the event were not enforced, resulting in an unsafe environment for the spectators, drivers, and race officials. The matter has been referred to the World Motorsport Council for further investigation to determine whether any additional steps need to be taken or penalties applied beyond the remediation plan. Um, Yeah, I mean, very upset about this. Um, Photos have come out of fans on the track carrying around the DRS signs, which, by the way, after last year, the FIA takes a fairly dim view of there, there, there was a spate and, and we didn't talk about it just because every time the, the photos would pop up on Reddit, we, we were off. Um, but there was a, a, a spate of races last year where post-race fans were going out onto the track. They were lifting the DRS signs. They were lifting the advertising holdings. They were lifting all kinds of stuff. And about quarter of the way through the season, the FIA put out a statement that was the fans, you're not allowed to do this and we will prosecute you if we catch you. Oh, wow. I mean, <coughs> there was a story on Reddit about how a couple of fans had snatched DRS signs and had like stashed them around the track so that they could smuggle them out later on. And the trackside security, the, 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 I think it was the Zanvoort security was turning a blind eye to it but the f the, but formula one and the fia were hunting them so <laughs> yeah so as cool as it might be to have a drs sign although it, i mean it's just white with black letters it's not i mean special. i think i can go to kinko's and get a drs sign uh, as cool as that is fans don't take the signs because the FIA and F1 don't appreciate I mean, then again, you, you could then say that you've been sanctioned by the FIA. But still, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, 
the number of times that I have solicited the FIA for things, it's a wonder. You've never I, been sanctioned. I, I have never been sanctioned. <laughs> um, I mean, I get it, but now. If you're going to get sanctioned by the FIA, do you sit for something cooler than stealing a DRS sign? I mean, yeah. literally, you know what we could do? We could, like, make a uh, a template that people could go take to their local Kinko's and have printed <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. Put a little tiny bloke in the bird logo in the corner <laughs> so that you could distinguish it from, from an, the, official yeah, an official one. one. Thus, you know, if the FIA ever came into your home, you would not be so able to go, I stole, the, I stole this from Al- St. <laughs> Albert Park. No, no, that's, a, that's, a, that's the bloke in the yeah. bird replica sign. I think we should do that. We could sell them. We- replica DRS holding. Replica F1 advertising holdings. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we have to be cool. Obviously, I'm about to give away our secret sauce here. We have to be cool about it. We need to do it like replica advertising holdings for a specific race. Well, I, although we, we can't use the advertising only because if we sold it, then they were trademark logos. So, yeah. so we could only do trackside signage. But we could do it. We could do trackside signage. We could trackside signage. Yeah. Awesome. And we could do it by race, even though the same DRS <laughs> sign is Shut out. up, man. <laughs> I see a t- I, I honestly, I see a whole t-shirt line coming. White t-shirts, DRS down the front of them. And then on the back, it could say stolen from whatever track. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There we go. A million dollar idea there. I'm copywriting it in vocal terms. I'm copywriting it right now. <laughs> All right, so I have to ask. Uh oh. Right now, are you alarmed? I well, no, I'm not alarmed. Okay, so when I share this next bit of news, maybe you you will be a little bit alarmed. So we are at this point less than one month out from the as Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh huh. Azerbaijani. The Mario Kart Grand Prix. Yes, the Super Mario Kart Grand Prix, which is when we are supposed to have the next scheduled sprint race. And what I at least find alarming is that we are less than a month out from the next scheduled sprint race. And they haven't figured out the rules for the weekend. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a, I, I think that's a little alarming. That 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 um, I, I I see there is the potential for a problem here. So what they're trying to do is make Saturday the Sprint Race Saturday mm-hmm. an independent event. Mm-hmm. But they haven't quite figured out how they want to make it work. What's been floated is that Friday will be qualifying, mm-hmm. as we have seen on many of us. But but that is the qualifying session for the Sunday race, not for the Sprint Race. The sprint race they're talking we want to have a separate qualifying for i, I just can't and and, I, and then there's the question of if you get a penalty during the sprint race they're talking that maybe possibly probably you won't serve that penalty on the sunday but it the next sprint race so it's going to be a whole shadow series yeah, 
Kind of maybe. Okay. Let's go back to the fundamental problem. 9%. Actually. 9%. So where I was going to go with this, actually, is I think about it. The, the, the way I could get behind this idea and this approach is you don't use your regular F1 drivers. You said your junior drivers. Yeah. Bring up your leading prospects, put them in the F1 car. And honestly, this is where I say you bring a third car, but you put them in the F1 car and you let them do the sprint qualifying and the sprint race and you let that qualify, you let those points earned go to constructor-only points. I, I, I could be down with that. However, I, I like the idea. I mean, fundamentally, I like that. However, if the goal of sprint races, which we have determined, is not anything about what fans actually want, <laughs> but more about TV time. Yeah, they're if not going to air the junior drivers in F1 cars. Exactly. If you're going to tell me that <clears throat> John Doe, the backup to the backup Mercedes driver, is driving in a sprint race that will have nothing to do with the driver's championship and could, you know, really only affect the the constructor's championship, which, yeah... I get is important and likely dollars wise more important than the mm-hmm. driver's championship. But the reality is we know who the driver champions are by year. We don't necessarily know who the constructor champions are by year because yeah. of the personalities and all of the other things that go on. Um, there in no way I'm watching a Saturday race. I'm not watching that sprint race that I don't want in the first place because 9%. Nine percent of the people like that were interviewed liked the sprint race. Nobody cares what we actually want. Nobody cares at all. They only are looking for TV time. Okay. Yet again, still not sanctioned by the FIA. So, (laughs) I think that's going to become my new tagline. Maybe I'll put that on LinkedIn now. You know. Not sanctioned by the FIA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thought so, leader and not sanctioned by the FIA. Those are that's my okay. that's my subtext. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet will be the operative word. <laughs> and our last story. So officially now, Formula or, or Porsche has decided uh, that they will not be joining Formula One for now. Okay. So after the Red Bull deal fell through, mm-hmm. um, word is that uh, there was some level of conversation with McLaren that didn't fall that didn't materialize into anything. Um, there was rumors of a potential partnership with Williams. Uh, it's it's now sounding like Porsche actually was not really considering that. It was just a rumor that was flying around. Um, but it sounds like the man who was really the driving force between uh, Porsche getting into uh, Formula One, he retired in December. Oh, that's what that would be the vice president of motorsport, Fritz Enzinger. Um, 
with him retiring, things seem to have died down. Um, and Portia has basically said that it continues to be an interesting area for them. But at this point, they have no plans with moving forward. Okay. And I think the key thing is that they really didn't want to start a team. They wanted to, to kind of, well, they wanted a controlling interest in a team. Correct. And they weren't getting it with Red Bull. That makes sense. Although I'm kind of surprised that Red Bull didn't offer up Alpha Tori as an option. Of, you know, we'll, yeah, you, you, you can't have Red Bull, but we'll sell you Alpha Tori. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know how firm those rumors are that Helmet's willing to let Alpha Tori go away. I, I, I don't know. But you've also got to look at the, the last couple of years, I mean, Alpha Tori made perfect sense when Red Bull had that said that steady stream of junior drivers mm-hmm. and somewhere to funnel them in and test them and see what to do with. But Red Bull hasn't had that stream of drivers for what, almost five years now? Which is really disappointing and I don't understand why. I don't know if they've just gambled on young drivers that have fizzled they didn't fill their funnel appropriately or they had a choke in their funnel because i mean there was a mm-hmm. choke point in the funnel um and thus they couldn't fill their funnel but if you don't have an ever-growing burgeoning group of young talent to feed into your series i don't well, i don't i don't understand how that's how that fizzled so badly for the last five years I, I think what it is is that they had a string coming through whoever the the junior team was that they were partnered with. They had a stream of, of drivers coming through F two, and that were they they well they were winning the series, but over the last couple of years you had George Russell win it, you had Lando Norris win it, you had. A lot of other drivers attached to other teams win the series. And uh, apparently something's broken that they're not winning on, on the, from the Red Bull side. Or they're getting snatched up by everybody else. Well, I think there's, other, there's, there's another sort of function that happens. So if you think about the funnel, what happens is you're attracting talent as long as people are seeing that funnel moving upward. Mm-hmm. Um, but when oh, you have yeah. the, the period of time where there's a choke point, like you don't have movement at the top and until the movement happens at the top, you don't have movement in Alpha Tori. And then if you don't have movement in Alpha Tori, you don't have any place for people to get pulled up from. So your funnel, so think of three or four levels down, people aren't going to enter the funnel because they see that choke point. Um, I... and the choke point's broken free at this point, but they've got to develop that driver that started three years ago hoping that the choke point would end i I don't know only because that release was toro rosso for years Mm -hmm. you know they they bring him into and and i mean we saw that with daniel ricardo and we saw that with several other drivers that you get up into toro rosso and either you'd prove yourself in toro rosso and there were no seats over in red bull but everybody else w- was willing to snatch you up or 
you didn't prove yourself in Toro Rosso and you went off to Formula E or IndyCar or WEC or something like that. But the chain into Toro Rosso hasn't been working. Right. <laughs> and that's where I'm wondering if... Or Alpha Toro, I know. Yeah. I'm wondering if the funnel dried up in the Super Junior Series. So yeah. not Formula 2, not Formula 3 even, but Formula 2000. Or... I think the talent scout is not working as well to get into mm-hmm. the young driver program as some of the other teams. I think that's... And honestly, it could be a direct result of the fact that they were successful in the young driver program for so long that the other talent scouts have had to compete with it and they've figured out how to attract different talent and that talent scout is now competing with that. Yeah. You know, because it's really hard to argue with the, oh, well, look, Sebastian Vettel makes it up to the the big team and sits Mm -hmm. there for four or five years. And so when he does that, your goal is then you're going to get to Toro Rosso or you're going to get to Alpha Torre and you're going to have to wait until... How long are you going to be waiting until Max leaves? You know, that kind of a thing. That that may be more likely because, you know, Charles Leclerc, who he came up through the Ferrari program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lando Norris came up through McLaren's program and George Russell came up through the Mercedes program. And maybe that's why those programs were able to get that kind of talent was because staying in the Red Bull organization or joining the Red Bull organization was not as attractive for so long. I don't know. And it's likely not attractive now because if you're a good driver, think about it. If I was a phenomenal driver and you understand that somebody that's in Formula 3 today may or may not be in Formula 1. Well, they're not going to be in Formula Mm -hmm. 1 tomorrow, but somebody that's coming up and you're signing with these people when you're like 13 coming out of karting, you know, 13, 14 in the karting years, you're signing with them. You're looking ahead. Well, Max is still pretty young. Max is going to be with Red Bull for as long as Red Bull is still winning and on top. So Max actually is setting an expiration date. Really? Max is saying that there, as of right now, Max is saying that when his contract is up, which I think is like 28, he is strongly considering not staying in Formula One. He is saying that, you know, as things have developed and and are developing, there are things that are happening that are not attractive. And he does not want to be driving forever. So there is the potential that in a few years, Max does decide he's going to do something. Now, I don't know what he's going to do, um, but... He has stated that, that, yeah, there is a potential that he could walk in the next five to six years. Okay, so five years. Mm-hmm. Let's look at it five years. Quite frankly, very few people want to be teammates with Max. Yeah. Because it's Max's team. It's the Max show. It's the Max show. And that's the way Red Bull is designed. And Vettel faced that too because people didn't mm-hmm. necessarily want to be teammates with Vettel. Um, because it was the Vettel show. Yep. So if you're looking at that and going, okay, my target is to be in Formula One the next five years. Well, I don't want to be in the Red Bull organization, even if I'm the best driver on the grid, because I'd rather be in a Mercedes or a Ferrari or a McLaren fighting Max 
as opposed to being his teammate where I'm going to get second shift. So that's the, that's that's certainly a possibility. I, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Is their success actually hurting their young driver program? That's the question that Helmut and Christian should really be asking. Not that you'd be less successful, but you've got to think about your attitude towards that team because that's what's attractive to these people. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily an issue of success. It's how you favor your drivers. It's how you design because your team. The success is, is going to be an attractor. But if you always know that you're most likely, if you even made it into Red Bull, as opposed to just getting into Alpha Tori, and, and honestly, I think that should be their target is to get to Alpha Tori. But if you even make it into Red Bull, that you're going to be the number two driver unless you can whip max yeah i think some of these kids think that they they can but it's that idea that you're you're going to be at a disadvantage unless you can come out of the gate and whip max mm-hmm. and more so there than at any other t- as much as ferrari's been known for it ferrari has changed loyalties if it happens early in the season well and that's the thing is Ferrari is absolutely known for the team orders thing, mm-hmm. but they are not necessarily known for entirely designing their team around a single driver. Not not to the level that Max. Not, not to the same level. Arguably, Charles Leclerc's first year that was done. I mean, Ferrari came out right at the start of the season and said. Sebastian Vettel's the number one driver and everybody looked around and went, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then Charles did well. Yep. And they turned around and said, oh yeah, that number one driver thing doesn't mean a whole lot. Yeah. But, and they're maturing. I mean, I get that. But on that note, Ferrari is maturing. Let's call it a show. And losing. <laughs> we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.